Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin. I've got Jack Fitzpatrick here. Two of the best in the business, I'd say. Uh, easily, without a doubt, 100%. Two of the best in the business. I'm sitting here at 50 and 14 in the CAA weekly. Um, beating Bennett. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna squeeze that for all it's worth, because for the last four, three seasons of this, or however long, four seasons this is the fifth season. You've won every year of the CAA weekly pick. And we'll get into it in a little bit. This is the first time I've ever actually had a lead. I think this is the fourth season. I we started this. Was it my senior year or junior year? I think we started at 2018 when we claimed they were the best team in Jamie football history. Yeah, great takes. That, that's right up there. That's right up there with Connor Mitch is going to beat out Brian Shore for the starting job. I didn't specifically say that Connor Mitch would beat him out. I said it was a heated battle. It All was right, not. Whatever. Anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so we got a bunch of, to get into. I think at the end of the week, there will probably be a more official Sun Belt announcement, which is super cool. Uh, but we've kind of hit on that a lot. I think we'll probably hit on that more moving forward. We're talking mostly football for the first half. I don't know why I said mostly football. It's, it's not, not mostly true. football at all. David, and I couldn't. Anyway, we've got football for the first half, and then basketball starts next week with the schedule that we do. Uh, normally, what do we normally do? We normally do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, kind of later in the week podcasts. Um, and basketball season starts on Tuesday for the women, Wednesday for the men. So we figured we would do the basketball preview this week instead of like, you know, rushing one forward. Yeah, you know it starts on Tuesday. Who plays JMU? UVA, man. Guess Women's who's going to be there? We will both be there. Yeah, we will. We'll be sitting next to each other. We won't be talking to each other, but um, we will be sitting next to each other at this basketball game. We have to. We should do a pod. We should do a live pod in the middle of the game. Um, <laughs> After the game. Into it. No, but yeah, start this probably 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes on football. Um, then we bring in a very special guest from Three Man Weave, Kai. Uh, absolute baller knows what he's talking about when it comes to CAA basketball, which is really hard to find because sometimes people in CAA basketball don't know how to talk about CAA basketball. So we'll hit on men's basketball. We'll talk a little bit after that. Um, and then we'll go into women's basketball and talk about Kiki Jefferson and company. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So starting with JMU, I think in the outline, I wrote JMU versus Richmond. I'm stuck a week late. JMU versus Elon. They kind of, they crushed them. They crushed him. That's two weeks late for Delaware Racer. <laughs> wow. I'm, did I put J? Yeah, I put win versus Richmond in the outline. You're um, still. Let's talk about the win versus Richmond. It was 19 to 3 at Richmond. No. So Elon came to Bridgeforth. Last time Elon was in Bridgeforth, Kurt Signetti was at the helm of the Phoenix, and they actually took down JMU. The last, well, now Villanova had beat, has beaten. JMU at Bridgeforth, but before that loss, it was Elon was the last loss at Bridgeforth, um, but not the same outcome. 45-21, kind of a very, I mean, kind of, it, it was a very convincing win. Yeah, I mean, kind of competitive in the first 20-ish minutes of the game, and then JMU really pulled away. Uh, Antoine Wells was great. Cole Johnson, just in general, was really good. He had, like, National Player of the Week honors, was the CA Player of the Week. He was 22 for 25 with 307 yards and six touchdowns. Like, like that'll do. Receivers. Yeah. So five different guys caught touchdowns. You had two to Wells. Thornton had one. Devin Ravenel had his first two catches of the season. 
he's healthy now. He seems to be healthier than he was early. That was awesome to see. Uh, the running game is still kind of a work in progress. We're going to get into that quite a bit, I would think. Um, but for starters, I mean, do you want to apologize for saying that you thought Jamie's offense couldn't turn it around? Um, no, because I stand by – no, I didn't say they can't turn it around. I said I don't expect them to. This is, that's fair. Um, and they, they proved me wrong. It's been a one-week sample and against an Elon team that's very average. Um, so I'm not fully, fully, fully on board, but I'm on board. I think the addition of Liam, Liam coming back playing left tackle, it can't be oversold. His addition, Cole looked comfortable in the pocket. Cole had time. He was hitting receivers down the field. Antoine Wells, I don't think this was talked about enough. I feel like we were the only people necessarily really talking about it. Antoine Wells had a drop problem. I know he was injured. I know, I know things got a little weird there in the middle of the season. He got injured at Weber State but there was a lot of deep balls where Cole was putting it on him perfectly. And Antoine Welsh just could not go to the ground and continue with possession. He had a lot of drops, a lot of not getting contested balls, but he was doing it against Elon. And I think that's a really good step forward. So running game. Yeah. Still a lot to be desired in the running game. Um, Latrell did have 85 yards on 20 carries 4.2 average, which is pretty good. Lorenzo Bryant is kind of stepping into that second role, that second guy role. And now with no Percy, no Austin Douglas for the rest of the season, it's going to be the Latrell Palmer, Lorenzo Bryant Jr., and Solomon Van Horst show. Um, but, yeah, the, the offensive line came together. That was the weak spot. Liam really is an anchor there, and it was fantastic to have him back, and I'm excited to see them grow against some more bad defenses. Yeah, I think the main thing is, like, Johnson just needs time. Like, you give Cole Johnson time, I think he's – He's able to get some guys that are, are going to break free and get open. We had kind of shockingly to the first Clayton Cheatham touchdown of the year. I thought we would have more of those this year. I know that the receivers have gotten the bulk of the targets, but like he feels like a touchdown machine. We talked about that in the preseason. So to see one catch eight yards for a touchdown, it felt right. Yeah. There was a point in his career. Where I think he had, he started his career with like three receptions and they all were for touchdowns right. <laughs> and from there. I think he finished his first two seasons having like a 75% touchdown catch rate. Yeah. So to, to get him back in there with only one catch going for a touchdown was like, all right, nature is healing. Yeah. We're back. The Dukes are back. It was, it was hilarious though. I, I don't know if you watched the game live, but watching the first drive, they got to the one yard line and our friend Dom was texting us about this. And he was like, I can't wait for Jack to not buy in on this offense because of the very first drive of the game. I just want to talk about how it was a funny drive and how all me included on the Jamie sports news, Twitter. I hit the panic button immediately. They got to the one yard line. I think they had four straight runs. Thanks to two offsides by Elon to give them another chance. Like, and they just couldn't punch it in. And it was just so ugly. At one point, they brought Mike Green and another defensive player in, and they had Latrell try and run it out of the wildcat and got stuffed. I hit the panic button so hard at that moment. I was like, this, this team's – we're washed. I was cracking up because I did not watch the game live. I think this weekend against Campbell is the first time I'm going to be able to actually watch it live. Like are you going to the game or are you going to watch no, it? No, I'm just going to be, like, streaming it. But okay. still, I'm very excited. Um, but no, so I, I was like following along, but was not watching the game live. So I, I kind of got it in the middle of the first quarter and it looked like both teams were scoring at a pretty good clip. And then I just saw like in my feed, a tweet that was like, here we go again. This is miserable and nothing's going to be fixed. And I was like, 
in the world does that refer to? So I had to like go back and look through the stats and realize that they slammed it at the one a billion times on the first drive and couldn't score. And then I was cracking up because obviously the offense clicked pretty darn well after that. But I can understand your frustration after the red zone woes to have that be the start of the game was a little bit jarring. But then they go end up going five for six in the red zone for the game. So next five possessions in the red zone all resulted in some sort of score. Yeah, and they were looking good in the red zone. They were, I mean, we, we talked about it at length. They needed to scheme guys open. I think I, I might sound like a broken record on this podcast. I think it was just having Liam back and having, instead of having a second and a half to throw, Cole was having two to three seconds to throw. And that also helps your receivers just create separation. You were talking about it through text. You said Antoine Wells, whenever he catches the ball, it was kind of a stupid way you put it to be funny. <laughs> but, um, you said whenever Antoine Wells catches the ball, there's no one around him. And like you then went on to elaborate, but yeah, that's, that's kind of like at the core of it. That's true. He creates so much separation. So if the quarterback has enough time in the pocket, Antoine Wells is going to get three yards of separation. All you're going to have to do is put it on him. Yeah. The point I was trying to make is like, he creates a ton of separation. So in those odd instances, like one of his touchdown catches, he kind of had a guy draped all over him but the ball was placed perfectly. And I think to your point, like he caught it away from his body and pulled it in where maybe in past weeks it, it would have been a drop. And I think that was one that led to a touchdown. His other one, he was, he was kind of wide open in the end zone. There was one touchdown to Devin Ravenel where nobody was anywhere near him. Cole kind of underthrew him to be honest with you, but he, he catches it and stumbles in because it was a wide open, easy touchdown. Clayton Cheatham looked like he had some separation. So, I mean, the guys were doing a good job getting open the Chris Thornton, bomb he was wide open but he was hit in stride with a perfect throw so impressed with Cole impressed with the receivers getting open there were a couple plays early in the game by both quarterbacks that had me going wow so JMU's second touchdown Cole Johnson they're in the red zone he rolls to his right there's like a linebacker who comes up the middle and he's running to his right and the linebacker is pretty easily going to catch him he steps back left jukes the guy who then like falls over and then fires a bullet to the back of the end zone to Reggie Brown for a touchdown. And I was like, Whoa, that's a learn that from Ben DiNucci or Brian Shore. Like we don't see that from Cole a lot. We see him like sometimes he'll do the zone read and run for 35 when there's nobody near him. Yeah. But it's, it, there's not a lot of like really crazy pocket mobility. So I was impressed by that play. Yeah. I mean, but, and then Davis cheek, I mean, granted, he only finished the game with under 200, two yards, under 200 yards, and not the best completion percentage and all. The, looking at the box score, I did not realize Cole only had three incompletions. That's insane. Um, but Davis Sheik was looking good. The secondary was a little shaky at times, but an opportunistic secondary they are. And they did get an interception late that kind of really helped them ice the game and, and put up some more points. Um, where do you want to go from here? Cheek's second touchdown pass, I do want to mention quickly. I mentioned that I had plays from both quarterbacks. I forgot to say his. He threw like a dart to the back of the end zone. Receiver snags it, and the defensive back like didn't even see it go by. Like Cheek can make some plays, so I was impressed with that and kind of going off of what you said. The secondary was opportunistic, even though it gave up some yards. And to me, maybe most impressively, the defensive line is just manhandling people. Like Going to the box score after the game is, like, hilarious. You see two and a half tackles for loss for Isaac Uku and Mike Green. Like, these guys are just killing people, especially when the opposing team has to throw the ball. Yeah, I'm, they started a little slow. I think we all had expectations of, like, no one being able to move the ball in the run game. Like, <laughs> like we, had, we had too high of expectations for this defensive line. 
But now at this point in the season, they've matched those expectations. Like they are in the backfield, hurrying quarterbacks. Yeah, you, Mike Green, two and a half tackles for loss, a sack. Wayne Davis, a tackle for loss. Bryce Carter, half a tackle for loss. Sam Kidd, one and a half tackles for loss. Isaac Ugo, two and a half. Like, Abi Unkonji had a, a tackle for loss. You just look yeah, – the, the, the box score is just insane. There are Worth three – mentioning real quick, MJ Hampton was ejected out of this game yes. um, early on due to a targeting call. Um, you can argue the targeting call all you want. You can argue we need to change the targeting rule. That's for another podcast. It'll take up an hour. Um, however, I think that kind of impacted the secondary too. We saw them t- take a huge next step when MJ Hampton was in, and he was out for the majority of this game. So maybe that's why Davis Cheek had a little bit of success. Um, so I'll chalk it up to that. I just think that's worth mentioning. Definitely worth mentioning for sure. I was just going to say there are three defensive linemen with at least eight and a half tackles for loss this year. Can I and guess they, them? Yes, you can guess them. So three defensive linemen with eight and a half or more tackles for loss. Correct. Mike Green. Yep. Bryce Carter. Yes. Isaac Ukwu. Yes, sir. Those <laughs> are the three. You've got Ukwu and Carter both have 11 in eight games. Green at the beginning of the year didn't play the first couple. He's got eight and a half tackles for loss in six games. He's good at football, man. Is he, is he going to play on Sunday? I, I think he's got a chance to at least be like a multiple years on a practice squad kind of guy. Like he seems like someone who is, when he's out there, he's just different for this level. Yeah, built different. Built different. Yeah, so I mean, that's impressive there. I think the linebackers are playing well and some of the secondary guys you mentioned, Hampton, are, are coming around. So feeling pretty positive about the team, I guess. Do you kind of feel the same way? Do you think, I mean, how much did the offensive – outburst maybe change your perception of what the team can do moving forward I think it impressed me enough where I now know that they're capable of moving the ball because if we're being honest they're not going to face a great defense really until the semis maybe the quarters they'll face like a great defense but odds are they're going to be facing kind of average to slightly above average defenses the Delaware game really worried me we all thought Delaware was a top tier CAA defense and then you look at the stats, they're a mid to slightly below mid CA defense. And on top of that, they were missing two of their best players. Um, and JMU still struggled. This Elon team is an average defense, nothing special. But JMU actually was able to move the ball. And seeing what Cole could do through the air, seeing Antoine Wells make plays that we haven't seen him make in over a month, that was really, really good to see. Um, I'm not going to get to, I want this, I want that. Running game is a little bit, uh, it leaves a little bit to be desired, but we can jump into some of the problems that the running game is going into that isn't necessarily because of what's happening on the field. I think they've just been dealt a weird hand. Um, And then, but so overall, they played the game they needed to play. This was against Elon. This is a team you should beat up. This is your get right game. You've had a lot of games where, you played underwhelming. This is your first game for the defense where you're playing a first-string quarterback that's, that's looked at as one of the top quarterbacks in the CAA. They performed well. The offense moved the ball. The offense did what they need to do. Now can they do it against Campbell? Can they do it against William & Mary? Can they do it against Towson? I'm not saying they need to put up over 500 yards of offense, but can they be efficient? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really good point. I think that's kind of what you're looking for from the offense. And maybe this is a stupid question, but like the last three games, two of which the offense kind of struggled, there's been like significant chunks of rain and or wind. Do you think that's fair as part of maybe why things have struggled a little? Like Delaware and Richmond both had like legitimate rainstorms. The end of this one, Signetti soaked at the end of the game as he does the handshake. Like, does that factor in at all? Yeah, I think it factors in a little bit, um, but I think it kind of dates back to the problems that were happening at UNH and Villanova, um, where they were kind of just shooting themselves in the foot and they couldn't capitalize in the red zone. Those games were perfectly fine weather, and they still couldn't punch it into the end zone. Um, yeah, of course, rain, of course, wind, of course, weather has an impact on the on the field product. But at the same time, they were just struggling mightily in the red zone. They were just struggling mightily those final 20 yards of the field. Uh, so I don't, I don't care about the weather in that case. However, I think it was good to see, and I think they're rounding the corner. And again, the, the, the addition of Liam, him coming out, somehow getting out of a season-ending injury and now starting back again at left tackle, that's been fantastic. I, the, just his presence alone. I also think I think it speaks volumes because Cole has played with him his entire career. So Cole kind of understands. It's like a wide receiver chemistry. You know, you know what your left tackle is going to do. You can trust your left tackle. Tyler Stevens will be really good in a year or two, but he's not Liam right now. Yeah, I mean Liam Fornado is an All-American player. Getting him back is a huge addition. I think that showed a little bit. Um, good to see things happening. And yeah, I kind of agree with you on the weather. The other thing too is like. Maybe it's a factor, but at the same time, like if you expect the weather in December to be really good, yeah. you're probably kidding yourself. So like you got to be able to play in crappy elements and score the ball in December, even if it's at home, right? What did they put up 60 plus points against Sam Houston that one year when it was 20 some degrees outside? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, got to find a way to, to make things happen. But I think now we should probably get into the running backs and I'll kick it to you a little bit because you had what I thought was a funny text and, and tweet combo to me where you're saying, remember when the running back room was deep? <laughs> yeah, what, we started the season and it was Percy, Luttrell, Lorenzo Bryant Jr., the 15th year, um, Van Horse, Kalon Black, Austin Douglas. I think that was it. I think that was it. Yeah, I think that covered it, right? And now Austin Douglas is out. Kalon Black is out. Percy's out. Um, so they're left with Solomon Van Horse is like not a part of the rushing attack anymore, which is confusing. So now they're left with Latrell Palmer and Lorenzo Bryan Jr. And then Peyton Rutherford, who they like as a, I think he's a redshirt freshman but he's, he's been seldom used, but they talked about him. And then he moved a bunch of defensive guys over who were like fast and played running back in high school. So it's interesting <laughs> how it's going to go down. Yeah. So, I mean, Peyton Rutherford has five carries this year. Granted he's taken them for, for 62 yards. So like, that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, they don't have a lot. Latrell is probably going to be the workhorse. I think Signetti said that um, Van Horse, he's going to try to get him more touches. So he might actually get some carries, which I think both of us have kind of, Wanted for a, when he touches the football, he's just electric. <laughs> right. So it's it's crazy because Percy Ajay Obese and Kalen Black are both out for the season. Austin Douglas sounds like his is out indefinitely, which kind of hard to know what that actually means. 
But yeah, you've got Latrell Palmer as your workhorse back, which we've sort of, in a weird way though, right? Like they're, they've lost depth. But on this podcast, I think both of us at some point, uh, you have been big on the Latrell camp of him being the workhorse. I've been big on Van Horse as a, as like a scat back. And uh, we have our wish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It all came true. It's kind of like how two years ago we were begging Lewis Rowe for a certain starting five and it came true. We wanted them to go small ball and they went small ball and it was awesome. And then they still lost all their games. But seeing Latrobe Palmer kind of get that workhorse, I do want to see him start producing more, though. Latrell's a great running back. I, I just don't think he's used to carrying it 20 times a game. So I want to see him kind of grow into that role and still be the manimal that we see when he gets little doses here and there. I think that'll be really interesting to see as the season goes on. I just want to know what Eric Curlew is doing right now. Um, <laughs> I would love to see him come back and put on a JMU uniform. He was awesome. He was awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, the running back position is obviously not as deep as it was, but our, I guess our point is that they still have some talent there. But if you look at like any more injuries are going to be a concern. Like if Latrell goes down, good God, like or even probably if Lorenzo Bryant Jr. goes down, you're that, that's a, I'm looking at the box score now. That's 11 carries. And, and where are you putting them all on Solomon Van Horse? I, a guy who only had three carries in that game. And uh, Lorenzo Bryant is day-to-day, so he's dinged up, but I think not – like, I think hopefully they'll have him moving forward. And uh, Campbell's probably one you can get around with, like, playing your backup safety at running back. But uh, <laughs> here's a question for you. How many touchdowns does Latrell Palmer have since uh, the Moorhead State game? Zero. Zero. That's crazy. Like, I know they've had red zone woes, and I know – and I'll have an article about this at some point this week that I think they should be pass heavy the rest of the way. Like their best players are receivers and Cole Johnson. Like they should be pass heavy, especially I these think injuries. They are gonna like sorry. But like, oh. but like there you go. He's a monster. He's a monster, man. Like, no, I think you like you I think the passing attack should be key moving forward, but at the same time, like You've got some beasts back there, especially Luttrell Palmer. Like, I want to see him bully his way into the end zone. Yeah, I want to see him make his way into the end zone, too. He has too many runs that he just doesn't finish. There's so many times where he's inside the 10 and he throws a guy off, but then he ends up at the three, and then they kind of throw it in. Or they kick a field goal, you know, with the red zone was. But I do think they're kind of transitioning more to a pass-heavy offense. I think Kurt Signetti realizes that his best players – our receivers is his quarterback. So I don't think he's, he's going to live and die by the run game by any means. I think he's going to get the ball into his playmaker's hands, but yeah, I'm, if Latrell's getting it 20 times, I want to see a touchdown or two a game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think he could probably, you know, some of that's on the offensive line to give him a little bit of push there, but yeah, want to see some touchdowns. And I think I was looking it up in the, the team in, uh, 2016 when they won the national championship averaged like 275 rushing yards per game, which is almost a hundred more than they're averaging. Now they were like sixth nationally uh, 2020 last year. I think they were in the top 10 rushing with like 230 yards per game. Uh, but 2019 when they were really, really, really good, they were much closer to this number. They were like 45th nationally in rushing and they just leaned on Danucci, who was stupid efficient with Brandon Polk and Riley Stapleton. To me, that's kind of the plan this year, right? It's got to be efficient pass with with Wells and Thornton. Yeah, with Cole Johnson being, I think, top five efficient quarterback in the nation 
And then Chris Thornton gives me a lot of shades of Brandon Polk and Antoine Wells gives me a lot of shades of Brandon Polk. Yes. I mean, they've like, they have a ton of good receiving options. I think that's probably the the path forward, but again, they they need some sort of running game uh, to keep defenses off guard, especially if you've got, you know, a 40 degree rainy day in December, Latrell Palmer is probably not fun to tackle on those days. I do kind of worry. Latrell Palmer has a little bit of fumble ruskiness in him, um, a little bit of fumble problems. So I, I w- kind of why he hasn't necessarily become that work workhorse. Granted, Percy has been in front of him on the depth chart, so that's also why. But there have been times he kind of has a, a bad fumble here and there and gets on the bench for the rest of the game. So now that he's the workhorse getting 20 carries, I just don't – I hope he doesn't have a big fumble in a big moment. The other thing I'm really interested to see, and we've seen it more this year, but like in years past, uh, especially what 2019 when they brought him in and Gage for that weird fourth quarter package, but he would like run run over people because he came in in the fourth quarter with fresh legs. Yeah. And now like he's probably going to be on carry number 23 in the fourth quarter. Super different there. So really interested to see how they can continue to push or have the run game going for four quarters and not just like a, a good first half. Yeah, going to be very interesting to see. They play Campbell this Saturday, a late homecoming, but and also a homecoming game against a non-conference opponent. Kind of a weird vibe, but play Campbell November 6th. We'll get into CAA pick them. Do you want to do the pick them now before our guest? Let's do the pick them before the guest, and I will say that Campbell is not quite as bad as I thought. I think I should should mention that. Well, they did play Ken, uh, they did play Monmouth pretty close. <laughs> that's that's key but they're they apparently they have a bunch of fcs transfer i mean fbs transfers which uh kurt signetti's been going full coach speak where he's like Oof. they get off the bus man you're intimidated i think he's he's hoping his players are watching these press conferences but um they they played elon within a point earlier in the year um they're not a horrible team like they're jamie should win this game absolutely uh but like they're a decent enough team. It's not a, they're not more head state is kind of the point. Okay. And speaking of decent teams, Stony Brook travels to Maine noon kickoff. Who do you got? None of them. Neither of those teams are decent teams. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Maine might be actually, actually that's uh, that's a decent point. Maine's playing better. Maine, Maine can make a playoff push Jack. Uh, No, but I'll take games are against Stony Brook, UMass. They're losing to UMass. And then their final game of the season against New Hampshire, they're probably losing that game. And they very well could lose against this Stony Brook team. They could lose out and be four and seven just as easily as they can win out and be seven and four. Don't get me started on playoffs and CAA teams. The CAA is going to be a two bid league. I think they'll be three with William and Mary. We can agree to disagree on that. Okay. Who do you got? Um, I'm going to take Maine in that game. You're taking Maine. I'm taking Maine as well. That leads us into William and Mary and Delaware. It's a great question, Jack. This is a big time game. You got a William and Mary team that just kind of blew the doors off Villanova, which like it was okay, thirty-one to three at one point. And I was texting a friend of mine who works for Villanova Athletics, and I texted her. I was like, "What happened?" And she kind of gave me the lowdown. Their run game is dangerous. I mean, we kind of talked about that with Paulus Mathis. He's kind of an unsung QB in the CAA. He's a really good dual threat. Um, so their run game was working against Villanova. She said they ran better than Penn State did against the Villanova defense. Um, so can yeah. Delaware's defense, which is a low 
below average defense slow down the William and Mary rush attack and William and Mary, is this a trap game? They just came off the biggest win of the season. Is this a trap game? Bro, I think it's a huge trap game. I think this is a massive trap game. Delaware has shown me absolutely nothing to make me think they're going to win this game. They just beat Dixie. I hope you're picking Delaware. I they, hope you're picking Delaware. They just beat Dixie State by seven. They essentially can't score, but they're kind of grinders. They're kind of grinders. So I think William & Mary is going to be riding the high, the win over Villanova. They have another road game against the Delaware team that's well-coached with some scrappy guys. I'm taking Delaware in a big upset. Really? Yes, sir. I'm taking William and Mary because William and Mary is going to destroy that Delaware defense. New Hampshire at Albany. Please tell me you're taking Albany. Please tell me you're taking the Great Danes. Albany has a sweet spot, a soft spot, whatever you want to say, in my heart. They have a spot in my heart, essentially. The Detroit Lions are 0-8. The Albany Great Danes are 0-8. Neither of these teams deserve to be 0-8. Albany is scrapped as hard as they can sometimes. The Detroit Lions have scrapped as hard as they can sometimes. Yeah, maybe there's a blowout in there or two or three. But other than those, man, these teams live for the opportunity to go out and play football instead in front of dwindling crowds, right? No one's going to be at this game. People are not going to Ford Field anymore because the Lions suck. I just – I love these guys. I think they're going to get it done. The undercuffler, I don't know. I just feel like – November is kind of his month. I'm going to take Albany. Okay, I'm going UNH. Um, Albany is not a good team, and I'm going to fade Albany for the rest of the season. Um, next up, we got Towson at Richmond. Joe Mancuso is back. I'm taking Richmond. Um, Joe Mancuso is back. Towson, are they a good team? They're fine. They beat Albany. They, uh, they, lost, they got blown out by William & Mary. This is a tough one. You said you're going Richmond? Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to go Mancuso's back. I'm going to go Richmond. Wow. Um, Villanova at Elon. I think I know who you're taking. This was another one. I was, I was really tempted to take Elon here. Really tempted. Because they played some decent football. Villanova, since beating JMU, and this is what JMU fans used to do, and I feel like they do less of in the past. A team would, like, beat JMU and then struggle the next couple weeks, and they're, like, they're just so bruised up from playing the Dukes. Like, the Dukes are just so physical and tough to play against. My favorite part about this is that you use, like, a California dude's accent for the Valley of Virginia. But they had the the dumbest take when it's, like, Oh yeah, you're still feeling that loss to North Dakota. You're still feeling that game in North Dakota State or JMU six weeks later. It's like, no, they're like 20-year-old kids who have like personal trainers tending to them all the time. And you're telling me they're still feeling it from playing like a 63 scout. God, just a joke. Anyway. <laughs> so so I forget what this game was. We got Villanova that has played so they played Albany only one by seven. Then they got kind of blown out, I think at home. Not that it matters. They have, like, a track around their stadium. Um, the concession stands are at the same level of, like, the field, um, which is kind of a sign that you have a tiny little stadium. But anyway, so Villan- playing at Villanova is not challenging. But to lose that game, I think, was a struggle, although I think it's probably going to give them a little a little mental boost of, like, oh, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. we got to really walk in. I mean, lock in and beat Elon. I'll take Villanova. 
Yeah, it's Villanova easily. Um, <laughs> I still think it's a sneaky one where it's like no, if it's Villanova not. loses. Campbell this. at JMU. We're moving on. We you talked way too long about an easy game. <laughs> Campbell at JMU. Uh, JMU, fifty-six to ten. Okay, fifty-six to ten. All right, I'm gonna go JMU forty-two to three. Okay. I love how we take the score prediction, and at the at the end of the day, we do nothing with that. We just like to hear ourselves talk. Rhode Island at UMass. Can the Roadies? Can the Rams finally get in the win column again against FBS UMass? <laughs> I can I can already see the uh, the Nesson intro sounding exactly like that. <laughs> but then they clip to like a completely empty stadium. Um, Welcome in to Amherst, Massachusetts, on the campus of the University of Massachusetts. The Minutemen are taking on the Rams from Rhode Island in an FBS FCS clash. <laughs> um, people like to trash on UMass. Rhode Island sucks. Like they were frauds all year. They are still frauds. I don't believe in it. And people are always like, oh, well, it's UMass. It's like, well, it's Rhode Island. So also, UMass, UMass, UMass sucks for an FBS team, but yeah. they're a mid-level CAA team. If you put them yeah, they, in the CAA, took away their scholarships, made them FCS eligible, well, and then put them in the CAA. If you take their scholars away, <laughs> hey, man, Albany, I don't know if they're beating Albany. All right. I think they're a mid-level CAA team. Yeah, they would, they would beat a lot of the CAA teams. As of right now, they're a mid-level CAA team. And Rhode Island is also a slightly mid-level CAA team. So, you're taking UMass? <laughs> yeah, I think we're both taking UMass, it sounds <laughs> like. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, so that's it for this week's edition of the CAA Weekly Pick'em. Do you want to throw it over to our guest? Yes. We had Kai McEwen on from Three Man Weave. We'll get into it uh, with him a little bit about what Three Man Weave is. We talk about JMU men's basketball. He did a great CA preview, a bunch of different stuff. And then I asked him just random questions about his job because I got interested at the end. But I think it's a, a good interview. I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, we'll see you on the other side. We now welcome in Kai McEwen of the Three Man Weed. Kai, thanks so much for joining us for a little JMU men's basketball preview. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. We're excited to have you on. I guess first, if you could take us through the three-man weave, what it is, how it came to be. It certainly seems like every day I scroll through Twitter and you guys have more things you're going to be involved with this season. So take me through kind of how you guys came to be and what you are. Yeah, so three-man weave is a college basketball website that my two buddies and I started, I want to say, six years ago now. Um, college friend went to Mizzou and a guy I grew up with who went to Indiana Decided to start a college basketball site because we all love the sport. Just got started writing previews on every single team in the country. Eventually got a little bit of momentum. We've been fortunate enough to get some other uh, avenues to show our stuff around the, the media space in college basketball. It's been a great time. But yeah, it's basically who we are at the core. Is we're college basketball junkies. We love it all. Mid-majors, low-majors, high-majors, you name it. Um, yeah, excited to be here, guys, and talk some hoops. I think that's how I kind of came to find you guys. It's like in the pandemic, they would play those games at weird times. So I was like betting on UMass Lowell, New Hampshire, oh, yeah. <laughs> like looking for a preview and you guys always had it. And I was like, here we go. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Might be able to find an edge here. So that was, 
a ton of fun. I love the mid-major coverage that you guys have. And you personally wrote a really good, really thorough uh, Colonial Athletic Association preview. So that is why we wanted to have you on. You also had Tier 1. Uh, JMU was leading the way. Another reason we wanted to have you on. Oh, yeah. He's, the border of the <laughs> He's got the home field apparel shirt on. So uh, <laughs> there's that there. But uh, I guess for starters, can you take us through a little bit the general picture of the league where you see maybe JMU in that and, and just in general, it's a, a conference that I think a lot of JMU fans don't pay all that much close attention to. They're just focused mm-hmm. on the Duke. So who are some of the top teams in the league this year in your estimation? So there's a ton of parity in the colonial, like by far the most, I think in the country, when you're talking about teams that can actually win the league, I'd say there's seven teams that could realistically win the colonial, which you definitely cannot say about other conferences besides JMU, right? There's Drexel, obviously, who won the conference tournament last year. They bring basically everyone back. Delaware's bringing everyone back. Hofstra's got a bunch of guys coming back. Uh, and Northeastern, I think, is, is the some, uh, Blue Ribbon, maybe their favorite to win the conference. Uh, I can't remember who exactly. But all those teams. And Elon, too. Throw, the, throw Elon in there, too, if you want. All those teams can win the conference. But I am high on the Dukes. I think Three Man Weave has the Dukes the highest out of any other media platform I've seen. Um, I can go into that if you want to, but uh, <laughs> those, those seven teams are the, are the teams that can win it. I'd probably put Jamie Northeastern, Hofstra, Delaware, maybe a cut above everyone else. And then you can kind of jumble however you want the rest of the conference. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's, it's a league that's kind of really hard to figure out. I think last year, Jamie was picked maybe ninth or something like that. Ends up winning the yeah. season title. Uh, Matt Lewis obviously carried the way quite a bit for JMU. Had a really nice G League showing the other night. Uh, he is gone. Yeah. He can't play in the G League and also play at JMU, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but who are some of the guys you think can kind of take that place? They added a bunch of transfers uh, that JMU fans probably don't know anything about. At least me personally, I have not watched a lot of North Dakota basketball on the side. Uh, <laughs> so I guess who are some of these guys, some of the newcomers that you think have a chance to help fill in with Matt Lewis gone? Yeah, so first and foremost, uh, so the Colonial just had their, their media preseason day or whatever a couple weeks back. I was shocked when I saw Tikal Molson, a guy from Seton Hall. I think he was only honorable mention all-conference. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy I think that could be player of the year in the Colonial. I think he's flying under the radar. At Canisius two years ago, he was the first-team all-MAC guy. Um, he won Rookie of the Year in the MAC in 2018. He got 20 minutes a game at Seton Hall, and, and he's just a very, very good player. He's really strong, kind of bullies people to the rim, does whatever he wants, plays a lot of positions. That's kind of the theme of what binds him brought in. JMU, a bunch of versatile, versatile guys, plays multiple spots. Charles Falden from Winthrop. Yeah. Um, you know, Pat Kelsey took over at Charleston during the media day. He sang Falden's praises endlessly uh, about a guy, about he, how he wished he could still be coaching him how Byington got lucky getting him. He started every game for Winthrop, who was incredibly good last season, top 100 team, tournament team. Those two guys, I think, start right away. I think Molson gives you most of what Matt Lewis can get you, maybe not 20 points per game. But those two combined can definitely make up for, for Lewis's absence. And I, I saw some, some flack, uh, a commentary on our preview, saying, Jamie, you screwed without, without Matt Lewis in the lineup. And my first reaction, and I want to get your guys' take on this too. Well, he was around for the Lewis Rowe years, so that didn't work out too well. And, <laughs> and 
I, I just think Mark Byington is such a great coach and an upgrade over Rowe. That's my main focus when it comes to the Dukes. Yeah. I mean, at mid-major level, I feel like coaching matters so much more than it does necessarily other places. And like Lewis Rowe had, I mean, Ben and I would sit on here and talk for an hour straight about how they had all the talent in the world on paper. They were the best talent team in the CAA, but they just couldn't win games. And then Byington mm-hmm. comes in, he loses a lot of their best players in Banks and um, Greg Wilson, who was that? Did I Dwight forget his Dwight. 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 Wow. Yeah, he's over at Ohio right now. Yeah, he's yeah. balling at Ohio. But I yeah. can't believe I forgot <laughs> my favorite Lewis Rowe era player's name. But yeah. <laughs> And then they all leave, but then Byington comes in and he takes them first in, um, first in the CAA. So like, yeah, like you were yep. saying. I also, I think it was the commentary on that post on Twitter or something where a fan was like, yeah, how are they going to recover from Matt Lewis? And I think I responded either from the Jamie Sports News account or my personal account, where I was like, it's a shame they didn't have an entire offseason and also a tournament game where they could figure out how to play without Matt Lewis, and they brought yeah. in – like, I, th- I think that's a funny take. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and to give Jamie fans confidence, I think, that Byington has a full offseason, right? I mean, last year – real offseason. Pre- yeah, yeah, no practice. He's coming in first-year coach, and they win the league. That's that's incredible. Matt Lewis is awesome, but it wasn't just Matt Lewis that got it done there. And then, yeah, without even mentioning the other two guys they brought in, Alonzo Sule started every game for Texas State. They won the Sun Belt. He's a forward. He's not going to give you much offensively, but he's one of those guys who just kind of works hard. He's a good backup forward. And then Tyree, I don't know really how to pronounce his last name. It's like Ianaco, Ianacho. Tyree works. <laughs> yeah. That guy was awesome. North Dakota, Summit Freshman Player of the Year, uh, Freshman of the Year, excuse me. North Dakota wasn't a good team, but he's very good. Another guy can play multiple spots. I was on pronunciation guides just as we uh, came on, which is why I was a bit yeah. late. It's uh, Ian Acho, so you you were right. Ian Acho. <laughs> okay. All right. Good to know. They've got yeah. I know the transfers. It's like the Cole Molson, Alonzo Sule, and Tyree Ian Acho. They couldn't have <laughs> Adam Smith in the offseason. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I also I want to get with all those transfers. They got a lot of guards. I kind of want to get your take on how um, how important is size at this level like they have I think two people two guys six seven no one taller than six seven on this roster Mm -hmm. how how important is that at this mid-major kind of low major level it's obviously not as important as in the the higher leagues right but there are certainly some good big guys in this league I mean you look at Delaware right away like Dylan Painter he might be the best player in the conference used to play for Villanova that's Jamie's weakness if you had to choose one now, in my opinion, what they lack in size, they sort of make up in versatility, athleticism. Offensively, like Wooden and Amadi can, can pull people away from the rim, drive by them. That's going to be a huge advantage that hopefully kind of offsets their weakness inside in the post. You got to hope they don't get hit too hard on the boards, but I'm not too worried about that. Those guards they brought in, Molson, Ianacho, those guys can rebound too. They're strong. Um, so what they lack in top-line size, they kind of make up throughout the rest of the roster. And this is maybe an inside baseball question, but I think I had read that the three of you guys also have, I guess, other jobs that you have. Is that correct? That this is uh, something you do on the side or? I uh, used to. So actually I, I was a public accountant for eight years. So I, I was CPA, worked for uh, Ernst & Young. And I just quit my job last month to do three-man leave full-time. So awesome. always been a dream of mine and finally got it done. And <laughs> it's, it's been great so far. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. And I guess this may answer my next question then, but it sounds like you know a ton about the Dukes just based in the league in general. You mentioned the versatility and 
how guys can sort of, you know, pull people off the ball and things like that. What's it look like to cover pretty much every basketball conference with three guys and like know what you're talking about? How does that happen for you? Yeah, it's a process in the summer. We basically divvy up the conferences three ways. I wrote 110 previews this off season. Um, <laughs> I think we, we've, we've gotten better. You know, we've done it for six years now. So I think our early previews, it was more so, hey, you're kind of right on about this team. And lately, it's been a lot more accurate. You're always going to get fans that know the team better, right? Like diehard fans, they know their team better inside and out than we will ever, uh, especially at these, these low major levels. And we'll often get some feedback from them where we messed up, you know, some roster tips, some behind the scenes stuff that we would never know from reading. But yeah, it's a, it's a process. We've learned how to do it a little bit. We are, we've had better sources than we used to have back in the day. We know where to look now to get roster information, read between the lines of things. But it's always a process. It's difficult, uh, but it's a labor of love. We, we love it. We're obsessed with college basketball. It's, it's just great. And how does that work in season? I guess for JMU fans too, is there, are you like the CAA guy or is it kind of just depend on how the conferences go? No, not really. Yeah. We, we don't really divvy conferences that way. We're, we are sports betters uh, during the season. So we're, we're tracking the games religiously. Um, We have a daily show we do. So we're, you know, we're, we're watching as many games as we can. Obviously can't watch all of them, but we're looking at box scores. We're reading about the games, doing our due diligence and, hopefully doing a good job of keeping up with the team and adjusting them where they need to be. Awesome. Well, we may pull on you again at some point. To <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Have you on and, and talk more, but this is awesome for me, at least Jackie, anything else you wanted to ask? No, I mean, it's been fantastic. You put my mind at ease because this whole off season, I've been very worried that they've been just getting 50 million transfer guards and no size, <laughs> but you did ease my mind a little bit. Um, if you want to plug anything, you know, follows, ads, anything like that, please, you're, the stage is all of yours. Yeah, sure. Um, like I said, we have previews on all 358 teams up on our website, 3-man-weave.com. It's not the best URL, but that's what we decided on six years ago. Um, that's three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E. And our uh, Twitter handle is 3MW underscore CBB. Awesome. Yes, thanks so much for coming on. I know you've got some some really exciting stuff with some big-time college basketball minds on Twitter and those live shows you mentioned coming out, too. So I'm sure we'll be watching those this year and, and plugging those. So thanks so much for coming on and, and chatting, Jamie, with us. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hi, McEwen from Three Man Weave joining us on the Jamie Sports News Podcast. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to CAA basketball. He also knows what it talk what he also knows what he's talking about when it comes to 110 other teams that he wrote the previews on. Yeah, they do some really in-depth previews of every conference. They do a great job. And like, I mean, they're like really legit. Not to not to, I guess, prop up our guests too much. But I mean, like, he's he's awesome. They do a great job. Um like they do stuff with Action Network, uh, Field of 68, which has Jeff Goodman um, and Rob, I think it's Dowster. Hopefully I'm not pronouncing that wrong, if I am. But anyway, a bunch of really good. I'm on the podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> a bunch of, they're both like big time national college basketball people. Um, and they're having the three men we guys are getting a bunch of their own shows within their network that they created. So they're on that, they're on Action Network, they have their own site. Um, as Kai had mentioned, like he just left his full-time job to do this full-time, like they built a really cool operation 
in five years there. So uh, great to have him on. They're great to follow if you like college basketball or if you want to get more knowledgeable about college basketball in general. That's something that that I've wanted the last couple of years covering UVA. I wanted to just know more about the general landscape. Um, and those guys are great follows to, to get a feel for what's going on with all that. Yeah, or if you're a degenerate gambler gambling on a yes. Mac, not MAC, but MAAC game on a Wednesday night, they have they have the information you need. Yeah, they do a phenomenal job with the, the betting analysis and team analysis too. So great reads there. And before we move over to women's basketball, I have a couple things I want to hit on with men's. Me and you, I want to get a couple season expectations, a couple, you know, preseason picks and things like that. I also want to mention it's interesting to me. I won't say surprising, but I'll say interesting. Jamie only has one guy named to the CAA preseason team. That's, that's Morse, Vado Morse. I almost forgot how to pronounce his name. Uh, he's second team all CAA. Uh, to call Molson, he's an honorable mention. Not going to include him. Interesting, interesting, though, that to me at least, that Justin Amati isn't even an honorable mention. Am I, is that my JMU homerism coming into play or did he not have a full season last year where he was good enough to be a preseason player? I mean, maybe he was on the CAL rookie team. I uh, averaged nine points and, and five rebounds a game, had some steals and blocks. So probably a guy who, who certainly could have gotten on that list. And I think the other thing too, to note is like some of JMU's best players, in my opinion, are transfers. Like yeah. some of these guys they added, I think when you get this like media and SID vote, a lot of it is like just, rewarding returning players yeah, 100 percent. i mean we've seen how the sausage is made behind the scenes it really is <laughs> it, the awards aren't necessarily who has the best stats from last season it's who, who's our three best guys that we can put in not necessarily our best guys but like who's nice to us yep so it's like that's a thing like in in college football the ap poll vote is a joke um ask someone who had an ap poll vote like most, a lot of these people are beat reporters who spend like their entire Saturday covering one team. And then they're supposed to rank 24 teams. They haven't watched a second of, so it doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. Get so heated here that I'm, that I'm, <laughs> I'm losing my voice, Jack. No, but I mean like the AP poll, the all conference teams kind of ridiculous. So I don't think it says a lot about JMU going into the year. I'm really excited about this team, especially after talking to Kai still a little bit worried that they're really short, <laughs> but like, I think the, the guards are, are going to be really good. I also think the CA kind of stinks where he mentioned the parody. Uh, the parody is very true, but it's not like good parody. No. Yeah. When it's, when national guys, when a national guy is saying that there's great parody in the league, uh, that's code word for this league sucks and there's <laughs> no clear good team. I th especially at the mid-major level, right? Like if you've got the ACC has seven, like, scrappy or like four to five teams that are going to be in the mix, like probably looking at Virginia and Virginia Tech and Duke and North Carolina. We're looking at like Drexel and Delaware. <laughs> like it's not a loaded group. So um, just to, just to really hammer it home really quick and sorry to interrupt. So the CA men's basketball predicted order finish came out. Delaware won Northeastern Drexel, J blah, blah, blah. The top six teams in that all received a first place vote. Yeah, nobody has any idea how these teams are going to look. None like, at all. Like, Delaware, Delaware's number one, and they're picked to be first because they got Jameer Nelson Jr., um, who was a star at George Washington, just an absolute bucket getter at that level. Um, I think he had some 
I, I really don't. I didn't even hear the news that he entered the transfer portal. Um, but he ended up at Delaware. And that's going to be – he's going he's gonna to do really well at, the, uh, at this level. Yeah, and Dylan Painter's a beast. He was a double. <laughs> he averaged a double-double for them. So, like, they've got some guys that can play. But, like, I think that's maybe the one game that I'm excited about now that I, like, look at the roster. But that's the other thing with, like, the conference is, like, it's not that good. And, I mean, I frankly don't care about any of the teams in the conference. Especially now that we're moving to the Sun Belt. Like, that, <laughs> that kind of makes me, like, even more hands-off. But at the same time, I'm really excited for this season. Um, yes. I, I do – there's just something about college basketball, specifically mid-major basketball, that I just absolutely adore. Like, it just, it just makes me happy. It, it's just so much fun. Um, so, quick question. I want to get your, your preseason JMU MVP, your preseason oh. six-man, and we usually do a third one. Is it most improved? I honestly don't remember. Oh, I can't stop thinking about how we both thought Mensa was going to be the best player on the team. Yeah, that sounds bad. <laughs> I don't want to do most improved because they're all transfers and the guys returning, like none of them were bad. Um, yeah, that's a tough one because they actually played good basketball. We're used to talking about them after they went like four and yeah. four. So let's go MVP, six man, and then give me your projected starting five. Oh, I like this one. Okay. MVP after talking with – Kai, I'm kind of leaning to call Molson. I think he's got a chance to be yeah. a big time player. But I'm gonna, I'll say, I'm gonna say it's uh, Vado Morse. I still think, uh, oh, damn, I still think he's gonna put up a ton of points as a returner. I think the transfers are gonna be a huge deal. I just don't see them, like I don't see a situation where Morse doesn't play like 25 to 30 minutes a game. I feel like he has to be on the floor. Yeah, and the ball's going to go through him. He's going to – he's. I think he's going to be – kind of take on that Matt Lewis role in terms of bringing the ball up and taking shots. And he's going to get his shots up. He's going to get points. Hopefully he's a little more efficient this season. There were times last year where he was just making houses with all the bricks he was shooting. <laughs> um, that was good. Thanks. That was good by me. I'm proud of that one. Um, but since you picked him, I'm going to go Justin Amati. I do really love what the transfers bring in Molson, Falden, Sule. Uh, but – the electricity that Justin Amati brings, if he can just find a little bit of a mid-range jumper and average 15 points and seven rebounds, he's going to be. <laughs> Whoa, what did you just give this guy? Did you, did you say 15 and seven? Yep. If you, if he could just give you 15. Yep, if he gives you just, I'm, that's, that's low balling, man. I, <laughs> 15 and seven, this guy is first team all CAA. Well, he averaged last season. Sule? No, I'm talking Amati. Oh, okay. I thought you said Sule. No, 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 no. I did bring his name up, but no. I, 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 Amadi is the MVP. I'm not. I'm not picking another big man transfer to be the player. Of me, you know? Fifteen and seven, still, still a lot. But yeah, he went. He what? He have nine and five last year, so fifteen and seven. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> Justin Amadi. Okay. Six man of the year. Six man of the year. I'm a sucker for Jalen Hodge. I just love his jump shot. Um, so all six. His grittiness. His grittiness. He just. Like, when he comes in, he was randomly just, like, a freak of nature bucket. Like, he would just get, like, 15 points in, like, five minutes. At least That it felt was like a fun him. game that he did that in. Yeah, so he can he can fill it up. I think he's someone who came on late when Lewis wasn't getting a ton of runs. So, I think he has an opportunity to do it. The only reason he might not be is because they have, as we've mentioned, a lineup filled with guards who are all really good. Yeah, I'm going to go six-man Tyree. Ihanacho. 
Ian, he, what is it? One more time. It's E Hen Acho. E Hen Acho. Oh, so you, it's pronounced how it's spelled. E Hen Acho. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm going to go him. Um, I do love Jalen Hodge. I also love Strickland and I love um, Edwards. I think they're both really good defenders. Uh, but I, I wanna, what was that? Sorry. I was just going to say like this roster stacked. Yeah. This is, this is a good, assuming the transfers are what we half of what we expect, but I want to yeah. give a little love to a transfer. Um, I don't have Tyree Ihenacho in my starting projected five. So I want to give him a little love here. He, he was a stud summit league rookie of the year um, from North Dakota. Absolute stud transferred here. He's going to be a bucket getter, kind of a bigger guy, a little physical Kai talked about it, him and to both six, four, both a little bit more physical down low. They can, they can kind of hold, hold up for themselves. So I really like Tyree. Um, and now you're projected starting five. I'm not saying who's going to get the most minutes. Who is going to be trotted out to start a game? I could be wrong, and I haven't read much in terms of, like, if Shane Metlin has actually revealed information on this. So this is just my my guess. So I'll say Vado Morse is my starting point guard. Yep. I will have to call Molson and Charles Falden. I'll have probably Falden at the two and Molson at the three. And then I'm going to go with Wooden and Amadi. Wooden at the four, Amadi at the five. So that gives me a little bit of size. Molson's a bigger three. And then I have an unbelievable bench of Strickland, Ihanacho, Hodge, Edwards, uh, some of these other guys. Sule coming off the bench if I need him too. Um, I mean, I think they go I think they go darn near 10, 12 deep, man. Like, I'm, I'm excited about them. So starting five is hard because it's like you could run out any of those guys, and I would believe you. Yeah. I'm going starting five. Not who's getting the most minutes. Again, I, I want to stress this because I one of the people I put in there, I don't think he's going to get a ton, a ton of minutes. This is but just I, how you think roll out to start games. But I think this is how they're going to start games. Um, Morse at the one. Falden at the two. Molson at the three. Amadi at the four. And then Sule at the five. I can see that, too. I, mainly just because I think they'd want to start a game big and then first first substitution, you're bringing out Sule, Amadi moves to the five, and you're bringing in Ihanacho, you're bringing in Hodge, Strickland, Edwards. Another transfer. Is there another transfer that I'm forgetting? Wooden. Oh, I forgot about Wooden completely. Wooden's probably the first guy off the bench. Amadi goes to the five. Wooden comes in at the four. I just think you want the, you want the size to start a game. He's 6'7", hey. 215. Amadi is – as I'm scrolling up, six seven two twenty. So I think you kind of want a little bit of size, but wooden six eight two twenty five. Did he grow? <laughs> so I think he was six seven six eight last year, but I, I think Sule is like, even if he's not technically like listed as heavier, he plays wider and more like a like like a big so man. He, wooden plays more like a stretch three four, and Sule plays more like the five. So when you, I think when you say that Sule brings like more size even if the roster says he doesn't he does because he plays differently yeah wooden plays more like a forward and yes. Sule plays more like a center if you have Amadi and Sule in the game at the same time you actually have like not a ton of height necessarily but you have like a sneaky good post presence so I do I do agree that that five could be valuable yeah post I think that that's that's the perfect way to put it they have a great post presence with Sule because Wooden isn't playing necessarily in the post only and Amadi can kind of stretch you out bring you out from under the basket but Sule is kind of more of an under the basket type of guy 
with all that being said, that was a great talk on men's basketball. One more. Oh, Andrew, one. Freshman Andrew McConnell is a three-point bucket. Okay, so, I mean, I don't know. I was reading his name on the roster, and I was like, his name sounds familiar. Has there been a lot of talk about him this offseason? I don't know how much they'll need it if they have, like, Falden, Morse, Hodge, like a bunch of guys who can already shoot it, wouldn't can shoot it too. Even Amadi last year showed a little bit. But, like, if they do need a guy to come in at guard and bang some threes, I think he can. He was a top 15 senior in Georgia, Region 8 player of the year. He's considered one of the best shooters from the Georgia region. One of my favorite bullet points ever because how – yeah, how do you, how can you can't you argue that in the bio? He's pretty freaking good. Like, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take your word for it. But no, apparently, he, <laughs> apparently, he is a big time shooter from stuff I read over the offseason at some point. So that's going to be exciting. You know what else is going to be exciting? Not only because we're going to be at the the opening tip of this game. I'm so excited for this game. First time at the Atlantic Bank in Atlantic yeah. Bank Center. Not only that, we're all then also going to the JMU UVA men's basketball game a month later. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But this women's basketball team, they returned practically everyone. Rain Tucker did transfer out, went to CAA foe Towson. But you bring back Peyton McDaniel. You bring back Madison Green and Brianna Tinsley. You bring back Kiki Jefferson. And that's, I mean, she I feels mean, that's, important. Yeah. I mean, what do you think from this team? Just, just give me your, your quick hitters off the jump. You love this women's basketball team. I just want to hear your thoughts unfiltered. Just go to start. Very high on them. Uh, we'll quickly plug the Jamie sports blog guys. They had coach O on as they do time to time. Um, I guess a couple weeks ago now I would consider having, I mean, listening to that if you want like a really deep women's basketball preview, cause they go with him for, you know, 30 plus minutes. That was really good. Um, but pretty stoked about this team. Like they're, they're loaded, man. Like, and he said they can play defense, right? Last season, they didn't know how to play defense. Probably the biggest thing that kind of came away from that is like last year they could score a lot and had crazy good flashes, but they were super young. We I called them the perfect pandemic team because they were just a lot of fun to watch and watch them fun grow and watch them grow, even if they weren't going to become like a, a conference champion necessarily. And they didn't win the conference, but they were fun to watch and a really interesting and talented team. So um, this year, it sounds like from a coach said in the junior sports blog pod, defense looks better. I think they're maturing more. Um, which means they're buying into defense more. He actually had a really cool story that I won't spoil, but uh, Jamia Hazel uh, talked to him at one point over the offseason about defense and had a really interesting tidbit there where she seems more bought in. Kiki seems really bought in. Um, the turnovers, I think, will be less. And they, like we were saying, like they, everyone's still here. Like Kiki's still there. Oderkirk, Steph Oderkirk, really good sophomore. Hazel's really good. Uh, Goodman is probably going to play a good amount for them um, at forward, that area. And Claire Neff is awesome. Like, I think she started at Clemson, but didn't – I don't know if she actually ended up playing at all, but she came to JMU last year, played a little bit. She's 6'2 with, like, guard skills. And that's that's really what I'm excited about this team is, you know, you've got Peyton McDaniel, who is six feet tall and can, is a guard. And then you've got Kiki Jefferson, who is 6'1 with guard skills. And then you've got Claire Neff, who's 6'2 – with guard skills and like in the CAA and women's basketball, like those are, those are tall players. Like they have forward size and guard skills. So I'm just stoked. Cause I think they have, they get, it's like a positionless team. They can play five players who would all handle the ball. Yeah. And the biggest thing is they're a year older. Turnover is going to get cut down. Madison green probably will still be the starting point guard, um, the starting one. So she'll kind of 
should be able to orchestrate that offense and do it really well. JMU was pegged as the third place team in the uh, preseason poll. Drexel and Delaware uh, both finished tied for first with five first place votes. Kiki, first team all conference, and Peyton McDaniel, second team all conference. Rain Tucker, for what it's worth, is an honorable mention. As much as we rag on the conference in general, I think it could be a two-bid league. Like, I think that Delaware and Drexel are that good. I think JMU is that good that if these teams make some noise in non-conference play, it could actually be a two-bid league. So I don't know if it'll end up happening, but I think there's enough talent there that it's it's possible. Because it really the one year when JMU, um, I guess it was two years ago, maybe three years ago, when they had all the injuries in the conference tournament. Yeah. I guess it was three years ago. Um, they ended up technically being one of the last couple teams left out and they lost in that first game of the conference tournament. So like they were close to making it a two bid league would not stun me if they were able to make that happen, especially, um, and I haven't looked at the other teams, but like JMU has a non-conference schedule. That's going to give them a lot of chances to pick up marquee wins. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. They play Virginia to open up the season an ACC foe. They play number four, Maryland Liberty, um, I'm not too well-versed in w- women's basketball at Liberty, uh, but you're also playing George Washington, which is typically a pretty solid matchup. Playing UNC at UNC, which is another good a- ACC team. Villanova, West Virginia, George Mason. Um, they have a couple other games. Buffalo, which I think they lost to last season in a weird game. NC Central, Hampton. Um, but a lot of big names on that non-conference schedule that will beef up their RPI, which I don't think they use. will beef up their net. I forgot what was. I, th- I think they they also went to net. I think I think it's net for both, if I'm not mistaken, or at least it. So if should. games they can win or stay close in or something like that, um, then yeah, they could very well be an at large. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty excited about watching this team and kind of seeing what they can do. Let me see if they uh, looking at some sort of thingy here. Oh, bracket projection. I can't tell if this is. A- new or not hold on take your time (laughs) it's unclear based on the date if this is a projection that they have or if this is something else making it really hard to tell hold on don't worry folks this is great podcasting i feel like every other podcast we have a moment like this you put delaware in let me put delaware in interesting anyway I think, I don't know what Buffalo returns, but like Buffalo was good last year when they ended up smoking them. So it's a, it's a loaded non-conference slate. The conference has enough like decent teams. I'm just really excited for basketball season. Like you talking about mid-major basketball got me all amped. Like I'm so pumped to watch both these teams, especially early in the year in like November and December when they have the really exciting games. And then I do think they have a chance to kind of beat up on the conference teams and you could have, like going into March, you could have a men's and women's team, both with legitimate NCAA tournament chances, which is awesome. Yeah, this is kind of funny because I kind of feel like this is what uh, VCU did. Not as much Mason, but right when they were about to leave to go to the A-10, they get a good basketball team and they win a couple tournament games and they get the money for the for the league. That they're leaving. <laughs> it's like a parting farewell gift. Kind of feels that way. JMU, Granted, it's a long, long season, and CWA tournament win is hard. Um, but maybe, maybe they're capable. We'll see. Also, just so, and you alluded to this, so excited to watch this building with people in it. 
Yes. Like, it sucks. Like, with good teams. Like, with good teams. Yes. Like, we saw it just from an engagement standpoint on social media. Mm-hmm. No one cared about basketball. We would tweet to no one about those games. We would live tweet those games, and no one would care. But all of a sudden, they start winning, and all of a sudden, we're getting engagement numbers that are similar, and podcast listeners that are similar to the prime bat- football season. And so just to see, like, fans want a good basketball team. I think having a good basketball team is more important than having a good football team. And, like, some of the – like, the men's team, Old Dominion, George Mason, and UVA, they all – they play all three of those teams at home. You've got UVA, Maryland, you mentioned this, Villanova, West Virginia for the women. Like, that's an unbelievable non-conference slate of home games. They're bringing – they're hosting the number four preseason team. That's insane. <laughs> and the last time a ranked Maryland team came to uh, to Harrisonburg and played the women's – they should have won. They're up like 15 in the game. They're blowing it. I'm not saying they're going to beat Maryland this year, but I, I do think opening night we're going to that game against Virginia. I think JMU's a better team. Um, I think they're going to win that game. Yeah, you're pretty low on UVA. I, I was with you at uh, Media Day. Um, you were pretty low on the UVA women's team. Yeah, I, I think they I should team. say that now. but No, it's, I think they have a chance to maybe be better, but like they have a bunch of transfers – and they haven't really found anything consistent under Tina Thompson. Jamie beat him last year. And then you bring in the first game of the season. Uh, Coach O had mentioned on the Jamie Sports Blog guys, he talked about like 5,000 people in that building. Man, I'm so excited for that game. That's going to be so much fun. Anything else you want to add? Well, if you want, we should hit it real quick. Uh, maybe not necessarily a six man or six woman of the year. Give me your MVP. Give me what you're expecting season wise out of the women's basketball team. Great questions. MVP, I think I'd be an idiot if I went with anyone other than Kiki Jefferson. I think she has a chance to be – Delaware's got a couple of ballers, but she's got a chance to be one of the best, if not the best player uh, in the entire conference. She's just just really good. So you got that. Uh, most improved is an interesting one with this team. I kind of think you're going to see Peyton McDaniel and uh, – Hazel, those two, I think both of them are going to play well like they did last year, but I think they're going to limit the turnovers more. So I think those two and play a little bit better defense. So I think those two deserve to be in the mix. And then sixth man is an interesting question. I guess it kind of depends what they do rotationally. My guess is they don't start Tinsley, the Virginia transfer. She's got a chance. Um, if Madison Green doesn't start, I think she makes a lot of sense. Um, that one, That one's a little bit tougher for me to – to guess on. I think that'll be interesting to kind of see how that develops. Yeah, their starting lineup, I think, is a little bit more hazy. Granted, the men's one is also pretty hazy, but you can kind of figure things out a little bit easier. I agree. MVP Kiki Jefferson, you said it. I'd be a fool not to pick her. She's the best player that Jamie has seen since Kamaya Smalls um, and since Precious Hall, all that. She's the next she, – she's in that rotation. She's a great basketball player, best player in the CAA. I think she'll win the CA player of the year. If she can, you know, kind of limit the turnovers a little bit and just be a little bit more consistent, uh, a year of growth if in a non-pandemic season is going to be awesome to see out of Kiki. And I don't really know most improved or sixth woman of the year, sixth player of the year, I think they call it in women's basketball. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to just say Claire Neff and Peyton McDaniel, just to kind of see their growth is going to be awesome. If they can kind of figure things out a bit, if they can figure out the defensive end, I think they. I think this might be – one of the best offensive teams we've seen out of JMU yeah. in a long time. Um, and if they can just be average at defense, that's fine. One more thing for me, just a complaint. 
I love before the season, during the season, looking at like Ken Palm, the advanced analytics, you get bracketology, you get three-man weave and they're really detailed stuff. The like national women's basketball coverage in terms of analytics and all this other stuff is it's horrible. It's not horrible. there. It's not just horrible. Like, it's non-existent. It's like FCS football. There's nothing there. It's terrible. And even like it also irks me like going into softball, both of those feel like an easy thing. And like if I – didn't, if we didn't have this on the side, maybe it's, it's something we should do. But, like, there's so much room for someone to create, like, a women's basketball site. And if people know of more of them, please let me know. But, like, a women's basketball site that covers the nation more thoroughly or an analytics page. And, like, softball coverage sucks. It's a joke. So it's I was just, just ranting. Like, women's sports at JMU are huge, and they're a ton of fun to follow. But then you try to find, like, okay, where does this really good Jamie women's basketball team fall? nationally with analytics and all you get is the net well yeah it's like what was it two years ago the pandemic shortened season everyone was like jamie could have been a sweet 16 team and it's like i wish i knew that all season that they were that good right. like i thought they were a good caa team that would maybe win an ncaa game like maybe and then at the end of the season they're like they were a dark horse to really make a run and i'm like why was no one talking about that why were there why didn't i know I feel like I know Jamie women's basketball pretty well. And here I was not knowing anything about that because no one's writing about it. It's incredibly infuriating. Well, there are people writing about it. I should say there are people writing about it. There's no national coverage. There's no like, like ESPN's not doing anything on it. ESPN was too, Never mind. I won't trash ESPN. Yeah, it's just, it sucks. Well, anything else you want to add? No, I just wanted to rant about how the national coverage thing, like the, the net rankings are so bad, even for men, like the one year Minnesota, like couldn't fall below 35. They lose like eight games in a row. And the net was like, Ooh, Minnesota, you're number 21 now. And everyone was like, Oh, the net is dumb, which you know, and can look at Ken Palm or where are all the other rankings? I forget all the names. Now there's another basketball guy. who was like a genius Bartovich or whatever. Anyway, I don't know how to pronounce it, but He's got a good one. There are a bunch of just really good analytical pages. The women, they've got only the net, which is just trash. So super annoying. I wish there was more of that. But uh, super stoked for basketball season. I think I'm going, what, I've already got, we're going to the UVA men's and women's games, and then I'm going with Brian Reese, our uh, pal, the Old Dominion men's game on the 13th. So yeah, I could not be more excited. November 6th, December 7th, and then I don't know when the ODU game is. But... November 9th, November 9th. No, that's not right. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Yeah, oh. November 9th is the Tuesday. Make sure you better be there. Well, for Bennett Con, oh, November 9th is the UVA game? Yeah, the women's one. Okay. For Bennett Conlin, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. We just figured out what date the JMU UVA women's basketball game is. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.